do this in the land, as they did in the land of Egypt where you lived, and shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes, and you shall not follow their rules, and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. chapter that we're following we're doing starting in genesis going through revelation over this this year uh, our bible classes are uh, all sharing the same things whether the adults or the little kids we're all talking about the same things and then um, i'm doing some uh, preaching through some of that same material and the idea is is that for all of us in the church as we walk through some of the same things together and we grow through understanding the big picture god's love story together And so this week, when my family was uh, sitting down to read uh, some of the readings from this week, which were all from the book of Leviticus, we have uh, two teenagers, and we're reading through some of it. And the question came up, and this is something that I always appreciate about uh, children, is they'll ask the question that maybe as adults we're a little bit afraid to ask. And the question came up, Dad, what is most boring book in the entire Bible. And I had to think about how do I want to answer this? Because I had an answer that came up immediately in my head. But I thought, but I don't want to give the wrong impression here. I don't want to talk about, oh, this isn't important. If it's boring, it's not important. I didn't want to speak in terms like that. And so uh, I had to pause and I had to think about it for a second. Did you guys pick up on the pause? You pick up, and if I was trying to wrestle through that discussion. But if someone's going to ask me, Chris, what is the most boring book to read in all of Scripture? I would have to confess that I probably struggle reading through the book of Leviticus more than any other book. Because so many other books have stories and narratives that are amazing to read. We've been through... Joseph, we've talked about Moses, we've talked about Abraham, these amazing stories of faith. And for whatever reason, my heart and mind are tied to stories. And I read stories from the lives of people and I think, oh yeah, that's amazing, there's something cool, this is, this is something I can really latch on to. And when I start into Leviticus, whenever it's time in my reading programs to do that, there's part of me that wrestles. But that does not mean that it is not important, right? Um, David will pull up the, uh, the lesson for, for, the, for this morning here. But I started thinking about what other things are not my favorite, but are still very, very important. And I thought about, like, this, uh, I'm coached kids soccer, and I'll coach a, a match later this afternoon uh, for, for a local kids soccer team. And I think about how important the rule book is for soccer. Okay, so if the kids just go out there, have never played before, and say, all right, I'm going to go out here and I'm just going to play soccer, you know, and I'm just going to do whatever kind of feels like I should be doing at the moment, and uh, yeah, that, that person's shin is right there, I'm just going to kick their shin and I'm not going to worry about the ball, and I'm not going to worry about offsides, and oh, those, uh, those lines on the side of the field, those are just suggestions, they don't really mean anything, do they? 
how do you think things are going to go if we get on the pitch and we play soccer like that? It's not going to go very well. Or think about this. Hunting season is almost upon us. Archery season has been going on for a, a while. Antelope season opened this last week. But the big game season, deer and elk, is, is here in the next weeks. We're on here in Montana. And so uh, we're gonna, a lot of us are going to be running around the mountains trying to harvest meat for, uh, for the winter. And by the way, uh, there's, uh, there's always an abundance of meat. If, uh, if you end up and, and you need some, uh, just uh, there'll be, you can talk with myself, one of the elders. There's usually a, a storage of uh, some of us have kids that are trigger happy. And so we've got uh, more, more game than we need at times. And, uh, and so that there's plenty to go around. But just think about it. What happens if you decide that you're going to go hunting and you head down, down south of Gardner, there by Livingston, and uh, man, you're, you're hunting and just loving life and it's just a beautiful day, and all of a sudden you see this big herd of elk over there across the river and you think, huh, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to hunt those elk over there. I'm going to shoot one of them. And if you're down at Gardner and you cross the river, chances are, where are you at? You're in Yellowstone Park, and if you shoot an elk in Yellowstone Park, what's going to happen, Mark? It's not going to go very well, right? It's going to go very badly. The game warden is not going to be very happy about that. Park ranger is not going to be happy about that. And so most of us probably don't sit down and read the Montana regulations for hunting for just enjoyment. Do it. Does anybody do that, read the hunting regulations for just pure enjoyment? Yeah, there may be one or two of us, but most of us don't read it cover to cover for enjoyment. We read it because we need to know how to stay within the boundaries of the law, okay? Because if we step outside of that, it doesn't go very well, right? Are the hunting regulations boring? Maybe. But are they necessary? Absolutely they are. And I thought about many, many others. How many uh, have tried to build a house without looking at the blueprints or consulting the plans or followed, said, I'm going to cook something and I have no idea how to do this and I'm not going to look at the recipe, I'm just going to guess. My roommate, when I was in Rome, decided he was going to make creamed corn once without any type of recipe. And I guess getting corn out of the can and putting a bunch of flour in it does not make creamed corn, okay? That's what we figured out there, and it it doesn't work. And so are all of those things, can they instructions be boring? Absolutely they can be boring. Are they necessary? Absolutely. And so Leviticus, when we look at Leviticus, is that's the way we need to look at it, is there's some things that Leviticus shares with us in God's covenant with Israel that may not be the most exciting reading, but if we want to be faithful to God, we better know what's in there because it teaches us a whole lot about what God expects us to be. And so before we look at Leviticus, I want to just lay the foundations here about what a covenant is. And maybe you've heard me use this analogy. I've used it several times before, but it's important because if we don't understand covenant, then it's, it's hard to understand what's going on in Leviticus or our relationship with God because we live in a contract society. A contract society is I will sign on the dotted line and I will fill my part, but I'm going to keep eyes wide open to make sure you do your part. And if anything gets out of line, contract is off and I bail. That's what happens. Covenant is very different. And a covenant is, is an agreement between people of unequal parties. Now, there's exceptions to this, but Leviticus is, is a covenant between unequal parties. So it functions like this. Is you imagine... In, the, in this time period, there may be a landowner that's got plenty of property out there. 
And someone comes along who is a peasant and says, hey, I noticed that this corner of your property is not being cultivated. I can tell it was cultivated at one point in time, but I had to leave because where my family and I lived before was invaded by armies and we had to leave. And we're traveling and I'm a good farmer and I will offer to cultivate that part of land for you. And the landowner says, that's great. I don't have anybody on that part of my land. Uh, I will, you can uh, move your family there. You can live there. You can farm it. I will take half of the crops as my payment. You can keep the rest of the crops for to sell or to live on. And I promise you, my covenant with you is if we get into hard times, I will do whatever I can to keep you on that property. And if an invading army comes, I will do my best to try to protect you. And so it's this mutually beneficial relationship that everybody wins. And yeah, there's unforeseen circumstances. Yeah, there's all sorts of stuff that's going to come up. But here is this agreement that we're making, this covenant, to be able to coexist in mutual, in mutual, in a, in a relationship that benefits both of us mutually. So there is, uh, but the difference is in Leviticus, instead of the weaker party approaching the strong party, the strong party, God, approaches us and says, hey, here is what I want from you. This is how I want us to be able to live in peace together. And so it's based on trust. It's based on unlimited responsibility, not like, well, as soon as you get out of line, boy, I'm out, I'm bail. No, that's not how it works. It requires action from both parties. There's not a party that just gets to sit and watch and be served. Everybody has to serve. And it results in blessings for everyone all the way around. And that's what God approaches the Israelites there on Mount Sinai when he is talking with Moses and saying, here is the law that I want you to give people because this is a law that's going to bring life. This is a law that's going to bring all sorts of good blessings. Now, we see that it was twisted up later in Jesus' day, and that's where Scripture talks about the law that brings death, and that's not what we're talking about here. But you see what God wants from us here is he said, Israelites, I want you to be holy, meaning set apart, meaning being different than the nations that you've been around, not like the people in Egypt. We're going to do something that's amazing here. In Leviticus 18, 1 through 5, this is what Noah just read. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live, and you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I'm bringing you. Do not follow their practices. Don't do it. They're bad, okay? There's all sorts of evil stuff there. It's going to enslave you. Don't do it. You must obey the laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and laws, for the person who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. Not everybody else, not anybody else out there, it's me. Okay, I'm the one. I'm the one that you need to really put your, your heart into, that you live by. So when you look at the book of Leviticus, in fact, go ahead, I ask you to turn to Leviticus. Go ahead and turn there. And we're going to turn to chapter 1. And I'm going to do just a few minute summary of what happens here in the book of Leviticus. And I encourage you, if you didn't this week, to spend time there. Because there's things that we learn in Leviticus that we don't any other place. Now, if, if you're in your, your paper Bible or your device, whatever you're using, look at Leviticus 1. And I did this in the teen class here just a few minutes ago. But you see in chapter 1, burnt offering. Chapter 2, grain offering. Chapter 3, fellowship offering. You see the subtitles there. Chapter 4, sin offering. And then chapter 5, partway through, it's the guilt offering. And then there's some... Uh, 
some more specifics given to some of those offerings. But the first several chapters of Leviticus is, here, when you come and approach me, Israel, these are the different offerings that you're supposed to bring. And every one of those offerings teaches the people something different. How do I repent of sin? When I have guilt on my conscience, how do I repent of that? When I'm really happy with the abundance that God has given me, how do I give back and how do I share that? All of those sacrifices teach some great spiritual principle for the Israelites. When you look at um, uh, in chapter 7, towards the end, it talks about the priest's share. So the priests, with a lot of the sacrifices, would get a portion and they would be able to eat. That was part of their payment or part of their support to be able to, to uh, feed their families. Uh, chapter 8, there's the ordination of Aaron and his sons. So Aaron and his sons became the priests that serve in the tabernacle. And there is chapters 8, 9, and 10. We'll come back to 10 because it's, it's an example that's important here. Uh, chapter 11, there's clean and unclean food. Food. This is laid out. What types of things could the Israelites eat and what types of things could they not eat? And it's amazing. You look at it now. The things that the Israelites were called not to eat, those are things that if they're not cooked properly, they create diseases. They, they create problems. And God set aside things. These are things that you can eat um, as a way of, of blessing them. There's not a wasn't a local scientist or a local uh, food expert that could look at bacteria and say, hey, we need, to, we need to be careful with this. Even before their understanding of all of that, uh, mankind's understanding or rediscovery of it, God gave laws to say, these are things that I'm giving you to protect you, to take care of you. Skip to, to chapter 13. Here's regulations about defiling skin diseases. What happens if I get a big rash that starts going all over my body? Do I hang out with everybody? Nope. I leave the community until I can heal up. Then I can come back. So not everybody gets sick. That's part of what is there in Leviticus. Uh, different And molds. Yeah, you can read all sorts of stuff about molds. What happens if you get mold in the house? How do you mitigate it? And how do you take care of it? All right. There is, uh, I do remember at a, a fifth Sunday singing a few uh, while back, Noah Eater read, read the section on, on infectious mold. And um, that's, that's the only time I've heard somebody read it publicly. That happened. Um, chapter 16, Leviticus, the Day of Atonement. The Israelites uh, were called to fast, commanded to fast on one day. Every other fast was voluntary. So when Jesus is interacting with the Pharisees and they say, we fast twice a week. That is, we go above and beyond. Look how spiritual we are. Look how amazing we are. One commanded fast, the Day of Atonement. And this is the day that Israel would come together. They would not eat. And the high priest would go into the most holy place and offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. It's a time to reflect and talk about uh, the sins that happened the last year and to uh, seek God's repentance. And then you see in chapter 17, there's more dietary laws about eating blood is forgiven. Chapter 18, unlawful sexual relationships. Okay, Chapter 18 of Leviticus tells us what we're not supposed to do. And there's a whole list of, of, uh, of ways that um, we, can, um, we can damage the sexuality that God's given us. Chapter 19, look at, there's, these are some various laws. But look at chapter 19, verse 14. I had the teenagers read this. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Okay? Man, that's not very nice. You know, someone's blind and you put a stump in front of them or a rock so they fall. You know, God says, don't do that. No, that's not okay. Not in my kingdom. 
Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly, so you will not share in his guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Do you remember what Jesus said when he's asked, what are the greatest commandments? says, love the Lord you God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is where it comes from, right here. Leviticus chapter eight, 19, verse 18. says, don't, don't have these terrible thoughts towards other people, but love your neighbor as yourself. That's what you're supposed to do. I'm the Lord. I'm telling you, this is important. Uh, chapter 20, there's all sorts of punishments. What happens? What are the consequences for sin? And something just to note here that comes up in Leviticus in this world, there's um, oftentimes uh, there was might makes right. So in dealing with male-female relationships in societies around Israel, the men did what they want, and oftentimes the women just dealt with the consequences. Uh, the societies around Israel, it was there wasn't much of a consequence for rape at all, oftentimes. It depends on who and where and that sort of thing. But what God says, God makes it very clear, is rape is wrong and it will be punished. God says, we will not treat each other that way. And he protects women in that. Uh, chapter 21, 22, you see more regulations, the rules for priests, what they're supposed to wear, how they're supposed to act and behave and, and that sort of thing. And then chapter 23, what we see is these different festivals that the Israelites were supposed to uh, participate in. The Sabbath. God rested on the seventh day. You're supposed to rest on the seventh day. And later, one of the great accusations that the prophets make against Israel is say, you did not honor the Sabbath. You didn't rest. Because if we don't rest, we just go and go and go and go and go. And we're never much good to anybody, never much good to God. He says, you've got to rest. This is important. And it talks about the festival of the Passover, the festival of the first fruits, the festival of weeks, trumpets, Day of Atonement again, festival of tabernacles, all these great feasts that were designed to bring Israel together to worship God. Some of them were more solemn. Some of them were just, hey, this is a great time. Look at the abundance God has given us. Woohoo! You know, that sort of festivals. When you get to um, 25, there's a discussion of the Sabbath year and the year of Jubilee. Now, this is amazing to me. And um, the, the Sabbath year was every seven years, there was, uh, as the Israelites were called, said, you are to store up some, some food you know, in the meantime, in the years, but you are not to cultivate and plant. You are to eat just what springs naturally from your vineyards and, um, and from your gardens and from your fields. And think about that. Because you have the whole community for a year says the fields get to rest this year. They don't get plowed. We know that God's going to provide and there's good stuff that he's going to give us. And uh, it's all right. Here we are. Just imagine if all of us somehow took a year off from our regular jobs and just... I can't, I can't even get my mind around that. You know what what that would look like—the good stuff that we might be able to produce. Um, 
stepping out in faith on something like that. It's just That's what God had designed his community to be. Do you think these other gods and other idols said, hey, I'm going to build in a time of rest for you? No. And then, maybe even more amazing, every 50 years, there was a year of jubilee. And this is a year where people uh, were, uh, if a person was uh, a servant, an indentured servant, or a person had sold a piece of property of their ancestral lands, what happened is every servant in all of Israel went free that year. doesn't matter if they were foreign-born or if they were, were uh, an Israelite. Every one of them went free at that point in time. And if you had sold a property, piece of property to get out of debt and someone else was farming that, that piece of property came back to you in the year of Jubilee. So there was no buying and selling of ancestral lands as we think about it. It was just renting for a period of time, and then sooner or later you knew that that property was either going to come back to you or it was going to come back to your kids because that's what God had planned. This is God's solution for long-term generational poverty. Things get given, things are given back at some point in time. And that's what he talks about there. But do you see all of this? God says, I want you to be a people that's holy, a people that's set apart. <clears throat> Excuse me, a people that's different. in the way that you worship, and the way that you assemble, your morality, how you treat each other, the way that you take care of yourselves health-wise, all of these regulations, all these things I'm giving you because... I want to bless you greatly. I want you to be a people that is different, a people that is set apart. And that's what Leviticus gives instructions about what that looks like. Now, God wanted a holy people. Though if we look in Exodus 10, here we have, or excuse me, Leviticus chapter 10, here is an unholy example that happens in the middle of all of this. So Aaron has several sons, and these sons are called to serve as priests. In chapter 10, verse 1, and I'll read part of the story, what happens here. It says, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them, added incense, and they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So God had given specific instructions on how these censers, or these, these little torches that, that had incense in them, how, where the fire was supposed to come from, how they were going to be burned, all of that, and very specific instructions for this is how you are to honor me. And somewhere, somehow, Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons, decided, well, God's instructions for this are not really that important. We're going to take a shortcut, or we don't have to follow the instructions because we're Aaron's sons, or we've got a pass, the rules don't apply to us. Whatever it was that happened here. What it says in verse 2, So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, and Moses is in a tough spot here, because Aaron's sons have just been executed for not following the, the, the rules of God. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke when he said, Among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of the people, I will be honored. And Aaron remained silent. What a tough spot right here. Because... People are going to respond one way or the other. They're going to go deeper with God when tragedy like this happens, or they're going to blame God and go the other direction. And if you skip down to verse 6, it says, Then Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Eliezer and Ithamar, Do not let your hair become unkempt, and do not tear your clothes, or you will die, and the Lord will be angry with the whole community. But your relatives, all the Israelites, may mourn for these 
the Lord has destroyed by fire. Do not leave the entrance of the tent of meeting, or you will die, because the Lord's anointing oil is on you. So they did as Moses said. Really tough, really sad situation here. But what happens is these two young men, the rules didn't apply to them. We're going to do our thing. You know, it's okay. We're going to take a shortcut, whatever it is. And God strikes them down. And then Moses says, Aaron, do not mourn. You may not mourn. The rest of Israel can mourn this, but you cannot because you've got to set an example that God was just, that God did right here. And you can imagine how Aaron was quiet at this moment, it says. He did not respond. But how tough it must have been for him to take on the stiff upper lip and say, man, I miss my boys, and I love my boys, but they sinned, and they did wrong. And following God and providing an example of godliness right now is more important than mourning. And Aaron takes a deep breath, and he goes, and he does right. Tough deal here. But if we, if we ask the question again, what is the most boring book in the Bible? Maybe Leviticus. But maybe we should ask Nadab and Abihu if it's important or not. Right? I think that's a good question for us to ask. Because whenever God gives us laws and regulations, we better know what they say. We better know what they are. And if we play fast and loose with them, then this type of stuff happens and people get hurt. Okay, there we are. So here's God's promises. Let's skip to uh, chapter 26 of Leviticus. Chapter 26. And I'm going to read some of this here, uh, just uh, all of us together. And this is basically where there's a, another chapter um, after this. But this is the great last hurrah here of Leviticus. And this is, okay, as Moses is sharing, or God is sharing with Moses, and Moses shares with the people, it's like, okay, this is what's important here. This is, a, this is, what's, this is what we really need to focus on here. And, because you've got to decide who you're going to be. And look at chapter 26. I'll start reading in verse 1. It says, Do not make idols or set up an image or a sacred stone for yourselves and do not place a carved stone in your land to bow down before it. I am the Lord your God. Not those stones, not anything else. It's me. Second, observe my Sabbaths and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Take me seriously. This is very important. If you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will send you rain in its season and the ground will yield its crops and the trees their fruit. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest and the grape harvest will continue until planting and you will eat all the food you want and live in safety in your land. I'm going to give you more food than you can ever imagine if you follow me. I will grant peace in the land and you will lie down and no one will make you afraid. I will remove wild beasts from the land and the sword will not pass through your country. You will pursue your enemies, and they will fall by the sword before you. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand, and your enemies will fall by the sword before you. Okay, I'm going to give, I'm going to make you a courageous people if you follow me. I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful, increase your numbers, and will keep my covenant with you. You will still be eating last year's harvest when you will have more, um, have to move it out to make room for the new. I will put my dwelling place among you, and I will not abhor you. I'm not going to report you at all. I will walk among you. I will be your God, and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of the yoke of your yoke and enabled you to walk with your heads held high. And so you can see what God is saying here is, you guys got to listen to me, okay? Just listen to me. 
all this stuff that I've written down for you to do and to be, just do it. Okay, just do it. Just trust me in this. Because if you will make me your God and you will walk side by side with me, you'll put those idols aside, I am going to open the floodgates of heaven and bless you beyond what you can ever imagine. That's what I want to do as your God. And we're going to have this great people that is an example to the rest of the world, and you're going to have a great life, and man, this is going to be awesome. Israel, jump on. This is my covenant to you. Jump in with me, okay? Let's do this together. This is going to be awesome, and I'm going to walk among you. Man, how amazing. However, verse 14 but if you will not listen to me and carry out these command, all these commands, and if you reject my decrees and abhor my laws and fail to carry out all my commands and, and so violate my covenant, if you just don't take me seriously and you play fast and loose with all this and you just do whatever you want, then I will do this to you. I will bring on you sudden terror, wasting diseases, and fever that will destroy your sight and sap your strength. And you will plant seed in vain because your enemies will eat it. I will set my face against you so that you will be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you will rule over you and you will flee even though no one is pursuing you. And he continues on from there. Man, it's just a, it's a tough, these punishments, one after the other after the other. Skip down to verse 40. He says, But if they will confess their sins and the sins of their ancestors, their unfaithfulness and their hostility towards me, which made me hostile towards them so that I sent them out into the land of their enemies, then... When their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they pay for their sin, I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham. And I will remember the land. For the land will be deserted by them and will enjoy its Sabbaths while it lies desolate without them. They will pay for their sins because they rejected my laws and abhorred my decrees. Yet in spite of this, when they are in the land of the enemies, I will not reject them or abhor them so that to destroy them completely, breaking my covenant with them. I am the Lord their God, but for their sake I will remember the covenant with their ancestors whom I brought out of Egypt in the sight of the nations to be their God. I am the Lord. And he says, this is the covenant that I want. There's the deal. If you choose to walk the other way, if you choose to not take seriously the commands that I give you, if you choose to do whatever you want, make light of me, follow all sorts of other idols that are out there, then punishment is coming. And it's going to hurt, and it's going to hurt deeply. But when you're in the middle of all that punishment, and you look up and you say, man, we've blown it, God. We have so blown it. Take us back. We repent of our sins, the sins of our ancestors. We take. Just... God says, I'll never destroy you completely, and I'm going to bring you back. And we see this cycle over and over and over again as we continue on with the Old Testament. But you see, it all boils down to this. Is God is saying, if you follow me, if you give me your best, then I will bless you beyond what you can imagine. And if you do not take my, my instructions seriously, then boy, there's going to be great punishment coming. It's your choice. I want to be your God. I want to walk side by side with you. <laughs> I want this. But you've got to want it too. You've got to hold up your end of the covenant. And that's what he tells the people there. And for us, there's been covenants established by God throughout time. And Jesus came, established something amazing and beautiful for us. And he said, hey, walk towards me in faith. Don't think that you know everything. Put your faith in me. I want you to walk in repentance. Instead of seeing 
sin as, as opportunity, see it as, as wrong, and, and run away from it. Try to go the other direction. Submit to me in baptism. And I'll wash your sins away. That's what I ask of you. And what I, my promise is, my part of the covenant, is I'm going to forgive everything. It's going to be this continual forgiveness that you're just continually washed as you walk in this life. I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit to live in you, to transform you, so you're not walking alone. You've got me walking side by side with you through this life. And guess what? When you pass away, I'm going to launch you into eternity to be with me where things are exactly as they were always supposed to be. All that sinful nature is going to be gone. All that sinful nature is going to be wiped away. It's done. This is the covenant that I want to give you. This is the covenant that I want you to walk side by side with me. in. And um, as we know, in, in our world, there's, there's many. Uh, as I've shared, the, Bo- the Bozeman Chronicle a few years ago shared that on any given Sunday, less than 10% of this valley is in any church building. And my guess is since that article was written, the percentage is lower now. But for us, we've, we look around, there's so many that are not living, are, are not receiving the benefits of this blessing. That God is not, a, uh, they've not said, God, I'm, I'm going to approach you. God is, oh, he's over here, I like God when I'm in, in, in hurting, but you know, whenever... I'm in a place of abundance or um, I'm going, I'm going to uh, just let God do his thing and I do my thing and whatever else. That hasn't worked yet for mankind, has it? When we look at scripture, that has never worked out. And so for us, one of the great messages that we can get from Leviticus is, is Leviticus boring to read? I'll let you decide whether that's the case or not. Is it the most exciting for me? Absolutely not. Is it necessary? Absolutely just like the rest of God's commandments that he gives us, the rest of his laws, the rest of the do's and do nots that are not my favorite thing to read. But they are absolutely important because they lay the foundation for the covenant for us to be what we need to be, to be God's people. And that's God wants the same thing for us that he wanted for the Israelites. I want to bless you beyond your wildest imagination. I want to walk beside you. I want to be your God. Just do your part, okay? Jump in this covenant with me and take me seriously, and I'll walk side by side with you. And It's going to be great. That's a pretty good promise, pretty good covenant that all of us can be a part of, right? That's good. That's great stuff. And I'm so glad that we are able to walk through this, this life honoring this covenant side by side together. And Lord willing, the next years is more and more new faces that are here uh, because of your influence. You're sharing your faith. Um, God putting people in your path that you can say, hey, come, I want you to hear about this. This is great. And God... Uh, Lord willing, can continue to work through us in amazing ways over the next years as we fulfill and walk side by side in our part of the covenant with God. If you'd like to become a Christian today, if you'd like to enter this covenant, you can head to the back. The elders are back there and they'll pray with you. Uh, or do you just want prayers for anything else? Head to the back and let's uh, stand and sing together.